babe. Welcome to the She Factor podcast. I'm your host, Tori Ganahl, a millennial woman on my own journey to she and co-founder of She Factor, an on and offline platform for 20-something women craving community, growth, and purpose. Through our book, app, podcast, blog, daily she newsletter, and monthly events, we're here to inspire, encourage, and equip you to create a life you love, a life that you can't wait to jump out of bed and live every single day. She Factor was born out of my own experience as a 20-something, graduating college and having absolutely no idea what came next. And after a couple years of struggling to find balance in my post-grad life, here I am, 25, and realizing that the real world is actually pretty freaking awesome. The road to success, happiness, and community are waiting for you, right here, right now. So let's walk this journey to she together, girl. Join me every week as I dish out all the tips and tricks on living your best life. Grab your favorite cocktail or Starbucks drink and settle in for real, raw, and hilarious conversations as we dive into what makes us, as women, unstoppable. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to special two-part series this week, talking all about the parts of being a woman we rarely ever talk about, aka periods, sex, desire, honoring our bodies, all the things. And hopefully you've listened to part one. If you haven't, I highly encourage you to go listen to it. An amazing conversation with Katrina Swanson, all about hormone health, empowering yourself through your cycle, connecting to that deep part of being a woman and what that means. And then too, we talk a ton about fertility, the shame and fear and trauma and stress that we inherit and that we feel around fertility. And then we talk a little bit about my own fertility journey, which which isn't as dramatic as it sounds, but go give it a listen. I'm not having kids anytime soon. Go give that a listen. She's incredible. And then you're here now in episode number 78, Sexless in the City with Kat Harris and Oh, ladies, Kat is, she's a special type of woman. I mean, she is just so grounded in her faith and what she believes and who she is to this world and to herself and her desires and her sexual ethic. And she's literally the refined woman. Literally. That's her blog. That's her podcast, The Refined Collective. And This conversation went a completely different direction than I thought it was going to go originally when I recorded it. Just to give you a little bit of background, I have listened to a bit of Kat's podcast and I was just really inspired by how strongly she stood in her beliefs. And yes, this episode talks about faith. It talks about God. But if that's not your thing, I still encourage you to listen to it because Through her faith, she's done some really powerful soul searching on what it means to be a woman, how society and even the Bible talks about women and our pleasures and our desires and our sexuality and how she's been able to define that for herself. And this new book she's coming out with, Sexless in the City, we're going to talk a little bit about during the episode, but she's a virgin, y'all, 35 years old, and she is a virgin. And I don't know why that's so out of this universe to say, but I respect her so much for standing true to 
that core value that she holds in saving herself for marriage. But I love her perspective of it. We talk a lot about losing your virginity and finding sexual pleasure in other ways. It's a really empowering episode. And I will say, for those of you who don't know me, and I probably shouldn't be saying this since I know my grandparents and my mom and my family listens to this podcast, but I consider myself a very intimate person. I lost my virginity very young. And do I wish I would have saved myself a little bit longer? Yes. I think I would have been able to have a more meaningful experience with my sexuality at a younger age. But at the same time, do I regret it? Absolutely not. It taught me so much about who I am and what I need and and also about my relationships and how a relationship doesn't need to be rooted in that and that that's not everything. I think we put so much pressure on sex and desire and pleasure when really that has to do with the person that you're with and the partner that you share that with. And so we talk about that. We talk about being a single independent woman exploring this in her 20s and being a virgin in New York City aka Sexless in the City, we talk about the magic and power and amazingness of women's bodies and what they were created to do and feel and be. So I'm really excited for this episode, y'all. And it probably would have aligned better with Flame or with Faith, but it's too good. I had to share it with you sooner than that. And I think both of these episodes combined are very powerful because you combine the hormone health and taking care of your body and connecting with your cycle and using that to empower your productivity and your womanhood. And then you add in this piece of what is desire to me? What is pleasure to me? How do I define sexuality in my life? How do I show up for my desires and my sexuality and pleasure in my life? And the two combined are really a very powerful mix. So I encourage you to listen to both of them. There's no particular order you should listen to them to other than my silly little intros. And I just ask you to approach both of these conversations with the question of what does womanhood mean to me? What kind of woman am I? What kind of woman am I becoming? And where do these pieces of womanhood fit into my life? We so often shame them or put them away or silence them. These conversations about sexuality and desire and pleasure and hormones and periods. But the matter of the fact is the more we talk about them, the more normalized they are. And why is that so important? Because we as women were designed and created to have children, to have a cycle every month, to have pleasure and to honor our bodies. And something that I love that comes up in both of these conversations is the fact that we have shut our bodies off. We destroy our self-confidence with our words about our bodies. We are so hard on ourselves. Not only are we told to shame our bodies, but we're also told to protect the male gaze and protect the integrity of our virginity. And we're told that There's this really fine line between sexual consent and going too far. And at the end of the day, it is not our job to protect the male gaze. And Kat talks about this in the episode, but what a low view of men. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I have some really incredible men in my life that do have that integrity, who do look to the women in their life as strong and powerful and precious. 
Like we should have men in our life that look at us as precious human beings, look at our sexuality as precious and look at sexuality in the means of it being a connection. It is two people that are involved. It is not our job to submit to men's needs. It is their job to meet us in the middle and have deeper connection with each other and this almost spiritual experience. So think about all these things. I'm giving too much away at this point. So I'm going to stop talking and let you listen to the profound things that Kat has learned in her journey and the way that she is challenging our generation to look at these topics in a more empowered, free, loving, and honorable way. So before I sign off, don't forget that today is the last day to sign up for the She membership. And to learn all about that, you can go to thesheefactor.com backslash membership. If you have questions, if you have concerns, if you want to talk about it, I'm your girl. Shoot me a DM. I am here for you. But all I'm going to say on that so that we can just get back into the episode, this community is something special. And if you feel hesitant to commit, all I have to tell you is that the magic is waiting for you on the other side. There's a community of women who is ready to cheer you on literally every single day. We have conversations in an Instagram chat, in our Facebook group, within the events. You know, I love creating. I love connecting. I love seeing the changes that have happened in the lives of the women that are part of this community at G-Factor. But with that being said, this community is not about me and what I love. This is about you. And the reason I love doing everything I do is because of all of you. And in a time where we're so cut off from that in-person connection, which may I mention, was what we started Chief Factor to do, connect in person. If you don't remember, if you haven't been around that long, Chief Factor's original business plan was to build chapters or what we like to call squads all around the country where women met every month. They connected on that deeper level. They had conversations about their goals, their aspirations, their dreams in person. They built those relationships with each other. Well, guess what? We did that and then COVID happened and There's been more magic that has happened in the last year because we need connection more than ever right now. This membership is here to serve you. And that is the simplest way to put it. So thank you for being here on the podcast. I hope to see you in the membership. It is life-changing. It has changed my own life. I invite you to come experience that life change for yourself. This magical, amazing, powerful, confident, strong, incredible, amazing. I think I already said amazing, but literally every good adjective under the moon, like these women are the coolest, most caring, beautiful souls I've ever met. So there you go. That's why you should join the membership. So today is the last day. If you're listening to this later, there will be another chance, but it won't be for the next couple months. So I will link in the show notes, the page to sign up for the membership. And once that cuts off tonight at midnight, there will be a link on that page to sign up for the waiting list. So let's get this party started with Kat. Thank you all. Love you so much. And I will see you next week. Today, we have the amazing Kat Harris. And you probably know her as the refined woman on Instagram. And I'm so excited to talk just relationships, faith, values, all of the things with her. She is just an incredible woman. She's the host of the Refined Collective podcast, and she's coming out with a book here soon that we're going to talk a little bit about too. So welcome, Kat, to the podcast. 
What's up, girl? How are you? I'm so happy to be here. So happy you're here too. I am just honestly so excited to have this conversation, listening to your podcast and following you for quite a bit. It's just, I've been very, very inspired by your journey and I'm excited to share that with our community. So thank you for making the space. Oh my gosh. I'm honored to be here and honored to get to talk about all the things, life, love, sex, everything in between, God, all the things. Let's do it. That's what we love. (laughs) Cool. So tell everyone just a little bit about you, how you became the woman you are and where you are today. Yeah. So goodness, I grew up in the Bible Belt, Texas, and I didn't necessarily grow up in a home of faith, but I kind of say Christianity was the air I breathed because growing up in Texas, there are churches on every corner and, you know, football games, Friday night, clear eyes, full hearts can't lose, raising those praise hands on a Sunday. So that was sort of the atmosphere that I grew up in. I was an athlete. I played uh, D1 college tennis, and then I got really injured about halfway through and switched to a small Baptist Bible school to be a Bible major. Wow. And I thought I would get married at 20 or 21 and start popping out babies, maybe work at a church. And then nothing of the sort happened. I graduated college with a Bible major and moved to Southern California to be in the nonprofit world. I was in the nonprofit world for a few years and then sort of stumbled my way into the photography world. I worked for one of the top photographers in the nation for about four years. I had never been to New York City before working for him. And my first real experience of New York City was shooting backstage at New York Fashion Week. And I was like, what the heck? This is... I feel like I'm a gossip girl. What is happening? Amazing. What was the Lauren Conrad show? The the Hills? The Hills. Oh, yeah, totally. I was like, am I LC? No, I really want to be Whitney Port. I love Whitney Port. You kind of look like a mix between the two of them. Honestly. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I appreciate that so much. I'm trying the middle part right now. Us, uh, us millennial women have to keep up with the trends. Oh my gosh, my hairstylist was like, please don't do that. You are not 20 <laughs> and it does not look good on you. And I'm like, but I think I can pull it off when it's a low bun. I mean, I've been rocking the slick back bun for years because Christy Turlington in the 80s and early 90s is my style mm-hmm. icon. Love and it. then I'm like, why is Haley Bieber trying to steal my low bun? I've been doing this since before she was alive. I love it. So just so everyone knows, I've been doing hoops in a low bun since the 90s. Thank you, Christy Turlington. If you do not know who she is, go ahead and Google Calvin Klein 90s campaign, Christy Turlington. You are welcome. But anyways, yeah. So I got into the photography world. I then started my own business. I moved to New York City to pursue editorial photography I also started a blog around that time called The Refined Woman. And here I am nine years later, still doing a ton of lifestyle and editorial photography. And I have a book coming out called Sexless in the City. I do relationship coaching for primarily single women of faith to walk in their season of singleness and relationships with freedom from shame. And here we are. Here we are. We are here. (laughs) What a journey. Wow. That's incredible. So... You talked about how your family wasn't religious. Mm-hmm. How did you define what faith meant to you without having that? Obviously, you lived in an environment where it was very prevalent, but how did you define what that meant for you personally? 
I mean, I don't really have anything profound to say except for I got invited to a church camp in high school. And I went on that church camp because all the hot guys from my high school were going. And then I found myself on a mountainside in Keystone, Colorado, getting baptized. (laughs) Okay, this is so crazy because that's exactly what happened to me. I found wildlife in middle school. My best friend, his mom, led the whole entire Young Life Wildlife Division in Boulder County. And I had been going to a Catholic school in middle school, but had really, it was good because I learned about what I liked and didn't like about the Catholic religion. And it kind of helped me understand, okay, there's options out there. Like I don't have to be like one denomination necessarily, but I can have my own beliefs. And then really only went to wildlife and young life camp, same to you because all of the hot guys go and all of your friends go and you're like, okay, we're going up to the mountains for a weekend. Like we're just going to hang out. And those weekends, I, I probably went on three or four trips, got baptized in Lake Powell oh, only a couple of years later. So very similar. <laughs> yeah. We stayed at the Keystone Resort. Oh, well, that's so fancy. We, it was bougie. Wow. We were bougie. Let's take these rich white kids to a bougie resort. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I came back from that camp and was going into my senior year of high school. And my family was like, what the hell just happened to you? I was like, you guys, I have this really good news. Jesus loves you and Jesus loves us. And we should talk about this and do Bible study all the time. I mean, I was annoying. I was the annoying girl. And in fact, my... 18, 19, 20 year old self probably wouldn't think that the Cat Harris today as a 35 year old is even a Christian or, or she would be like, wow, we need to pray for her. (laughs) And so I went to college. I was still super excited about my faith and was an athlete my whole life, got the full ride and then got really hurt and thought, wow, I'm new to my faith. I'm didn't even know that you could study the Bible for a major in college. So let's do that. And really in that time, learned how to study scripture. I learned hermeneutics 101, which is how to study the Bible. Mm -hmm. So the who, what, when, where, why of scripture. And then really after college, when I worked in the nonprofit world for a few years was when I kind of hit my first real road bump in my faith journey of oh my gosh, I do not know if I believe in God anymore. There's so much evil in the world. And being in the nonprofit world and doing justice work, being so inundated every single day with crises stateside and all over the world was super overwhelming for me, as it is for many, many people. I think one of the biggest reasons people don't believe in God is because of the problem of pain and suffering. And so that was kind of my first real deconstruction of, oh my gosh, God, I believe that you are real, but I don't know if you are good. I feel like there's this moment that you have, especially if you're faith-based where, well, there's to be introduced to faith, you either have to have a lot of pain and suffering and it comes into your life at some point, or you've believed it. And then at a moment you have this breaking point of like, do I believe it? And those are the moments that define what you actually believe. And at She Factor, we define faith as what you believe and what grounds you, how you get through those tough moments. But Mm -hmm. the journeys of the ups and downs, I feel like is when you get to define that for yourself, which is really powerful. But you know, those low moments 
you get that that feeling of like, is this real? And is it just yeah. something in the sky that I'm praying up to for no reason? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the older I've gotten, just the more and more I walk through that. The older I get, the more I doubt, the more I question. My second real big road bump in faith was heading into my 30s and moving to New York City and dating more in one year than I had dated in a whole decade. And I had always adhered to this Christian rule of don't have sex until marriage. And I never, ever questioned it. Partly because I didn't really date a lot. So it wasn't really hard for me to keep my pants on. (laughs) I was super judgy about all my friends who were having sex, but I thought I'm so much better. Oh my gosh. I'm on my virgin high horse. And then I start dating a guy and in New York and on the first night, go home with him and get naked and do everything but sex. And I was like, Oh gosh, well now I have to confront the fact that when I'm actually given the opportunity to abstain the very first time, I almost don't abstain. Yeah. And so that on the heels of the breakup with that guy, I just was like, oh my gosh, I really don't know what I believe about sex. I really have no idea, even though I was a Bible major, what the Bible actually says about sex. And I don't know if I care what it has to say about sex because I'm almost 30 years old and I'm tired of keeping my pants on. And so I went on a journey of really giving myself the permission to doubt everything I had ever been taught about sex, desire, my body, sexuality, God. And I thought it would be just a few hours of study and self-reflection. And here I am seven years later (laughs) with a book coming out. Hearing all those big questions that I asked and and really in that realizing Madeline Engel says this, and she's one of my favorite authors, that life is less about finding airtight answers and more about asking the right questions. Mm. And so how can we give each other the space to ask questions? And and it was leaving that journey was less about, okay, how can I be a quote unquote good Christian? And more so, how can I connect with my heart? How can I connect with my values? What is a holistic, healthy sexual ethic outside of a rules-based shame-producing approach? And so, yeah, I've noticed that in my moments of doubt, when I've allowed myself to sort of dismantle all the systems in question and then rebuild those gray spaces, those nuanced spaces, those spaces where I feel like if I go towards that question, it means the end of my faith. Mm. Actually, those are the moments where I've experienced God more profoundly than anywhere else. Wow. That's really powerful. What did you learn from that experience? Like what did sex become to you and what did desire become to you? How did you navigate through that and explore that in a way that sat well in your values and sat well in your faith? Yeah. You know how you have a to-do list and then you're like, oh, I need to check my inbox. That's Mm -hmm. one task. But then that one task, that one email that you get gives you 50 more things to add to your to-do list. You're literally describing my week. (laughs) Totally. You're like, you're describing my last hour. Thank you very much. No, but that to me is what going on this journey was. I just thought, oh, what does the Bible say about sex? That's the question I'm looking for. And 
that turned into like 500 more questions. <laughs> and so what really, what say? did I... I mean, I, I guess I've never really even thought about it. Like, what is the main takeaway you got from what the Bible does say about sex? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing I had to start with was who am I? What does God say about who I am? Because it seems as though culture has an idea that I am my desire or I am the sum of my urges. If it itches, scratch it. If you're hungry, feed it. If you want it, buy it. Even if it's on a credit card, you are entitled to have what you want, when you want, whenever and however you want it. And you deserve that like yesterday. And so I felt as though the cultural message is do what feels good. And then I also discovered in my own experience that instant gratification often over promises and under delivers. Amen. And so that was one idea that I experienced. And then I looked at my experience in the church and the church often said, don't talk about sex. Don't think about sex. Don't think about thinking about thinking about sex. It's bad. It's wrong. You're gross. Your body's gross. Orgasms are gross. Don't talk about it and shut down your desire. Your desire doesn't belong to you. It belongs in your marriage bedroom. Mm -hmm. And the only way we can express our sexuality is through sex. So <laughs> shut it down until the elusive day that you may or may not ever get married. Mm -hmm. And so what I learned from the church was that I am compartmentalized. Was that my experience as a human is built on a shelf with a bunch of different boxes. So I have my church box, my religion box, my family box, my friend box, my sexuality box. And they're all kind of wrapped up nice and neatly in black and white boxes with bows on them. And it taught me that our sexuality is a switch that can be flipped on and off only after marriage. And so that felt really confusing to me because... I felt as though when I shut down a part of myself, I, I shut down all of myself, actually. One of my friends and coaches says it this way, you're either pregnant or you're not. Well, I was going to say, why do we have to be married? Why is that a thing that we have to do in order to experience sex and desire? You know? And I think the answer to that question is it just depends on what you believe and the belief systems you choose to adhere to and walk in alignment with. And so what did I find that the Bible said about all that stuff? I found a different narrative. I found a narrative that said, I'm not my desire, nor am I the absence of my desire. But the beginning of the God story begins with the Hebrew creation account where God breathed humanity, the universe into existence. And when God breathed the universe into existence, God said, the universe is really good. And then there's this climax of the creation story, pun intended, because why not? We're talking about that. That God breathed the breath of life into humanity. And God said, humans are really good. Humans aren't just good. Humans are very good. So who I am is... A human made in the image of God. So it doesn't matter who 
what you believe, what you do not believe, what you have or have not done, who you are or are not attracted to. You are a child of God and you have the God image and the divine spark within you. So I exist. I breathe. I matter. I am worthy from the inside out, period, the end. This means a couple of things. This means that I'm not my desire. I'm a child of God. But I'm also not the absence of my desire. I'm a child of God. So this means also that the text says that I am very good. It doesn't say my mind is good or my spirit is good and my body is bad. In fact, that's not a God narrative. The idea that the spirit is more evolved and elevated than the body is rooted in Gnosticism and in a, its dualism. That's not the God story. The God story says humans are very good. So that means that God created us holistically. So, so as opposed to the cultural message of you are your desire. Okay. That's not, that's not what it's saying here, but it's also not saying you're the absence of your desire. It's also not saying that we are black and white boxes on a shelf. So God created humans and said, we're very good. And that means that yes, my spirit is good, but also my mind is good and my body is good. And my sexuality is a part of the human experience that God even created it. That, okay, instead of sex being taboo, what if that was the thing that God created? And then we see later in the scriptures in the book of Song of Songs, it was such an erotic book that Hebrew children were not allowed to read it until they came of age. In fact, some Jewish doctors wouldn't let their students read it until they were in their 30s. Because it's this erotic sex and foreplay handbook that starts off with a woman, the bride, the wife, giving informed and enthusiastic sexual consent, saying, I want you to kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. I want, there's no place I'd rather you be than to sleep in between my breasts. And I want you to come to my garden and feast. What's she referring to? Wow. I had no right idea. Right there in the pages of scripture. She's talking about oral sex. <laughs> and he reciprocates the consent. He says, your lips taste to me better than honey. All I want to do tonight is roll around in bed with you. And so we see a narrative in scripture that says God isn't embarrassed about sex. God normalized the conversation of sex throughout the pages of scripture. So I see that, okay, doesn't seem like my body's bad. doesn't seem like my sexual desire is bad. It doesn't seem like it's taboo to talk about sex. In fact, later in Song of Songs, we see the family and friends of the bride and groom respond to them. Go eat, drink, and be drunk on love. So it wasn't weird or gross or taboo for your friends and family to know that, oh, they're going to have sex. They were encouraging it. And so I see later on in the New Testament that it says that our bodies are a house for the holy. Our bodies are a place where God lives. God doesn't live in bad places. So all of this stuff that I saw in the scripture was nothing about it felt shame-based. And I also found that actually the Bible does say there's, I don't call it a rule. I call it an invitation. There's an invitation to abstain from sexual activity outside of marriage. But it's not like this. If you are not a virgin, you can't have a seat at the table. And so I think from there, I felt, wow, like God really cares about my agency and autonomy. 
and God really maybe doesn't have a very low shame-based view of sex, but what if God actually has a really high view of sex and sees the value of perhaps delaying instant gratification or saying no to something that's very, very good for maybe a moment in the future so that we can be connected to a greater vision so that we can have this idea that sex is not just about the physical or about mechanics. Because with God, the physical is never just about the physical. It's always an invitation to the spiritual. Mm-hmm. Perhaps sex can be this more robust experience than just scratching an itch. So those are some of the things I learned. <laughs> wow. I love all of that. And I had no clue. I mean, that's honestly what I was so curious about in the work that you do is like, how how do we define that? Like, what does it mean? I actually just recorded a podcast with a hormone specialist and we were talking about how crazy it is that all of a sudden in culture and society, like we're not able to say the word sex. Like sex is not a topic that we can talk about. Your period is not something that you can talk about very openly. Like people think it's icky and gross. But in my beliefs, like I believe that God created us the way we are for a reason. Like we are every part about us. And you know, obviously he created us to have sex that we could also have children. Like that's another thing, but that doesn't mean that like that has to be the sole use of it. And I love your perspective of making it a spiritual experience. Like there's this beauty in waiting to make it more spiritual and connect deeper than you could before. Mm -hmm. But also desire is a part of who we are too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that God loves pleasure. I think God created pleasure. How do I know that? Well, God created taste buds. Mm. That brownie did not have to be an orgasmic experience. Like I just had this chocolate cake this week and I was like, oh my gosh. The Trader Joe's salted caramel brownies. They're like crack. I can eat a whole back of them. So good. Not that I know what crack is like, but. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so wow. Food didn't have to taste good. It didn't have to make us just, wow, oh my gosh, a good, a good, a good meal, a good glass of wine. It doesn't have to feel transcendent. And yet it does. God didn't have to give us eyes to experience pleasure of a beautiful sunset. Mm. Or I mean, talk about pleasure going to a concert. Have you ever been to a concert where you're like, this is a freaking spiritual experience. I don't know what's happening right now, but girl, I grew up in Colorado. Red rocks is like my backyard. Girl. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Biggest life regret. I got invited to go to a Seeger Rose concert in Red Rocks in college and I turned it down. Oh, I mean, just it's the most magical experience. Like every time I go there, you step in, you step into the auditorium, no matter who you're there to see. Like I've gone and seen artists that I'm like, I could care less. And it's still a spiritual experience. Like, yeah. like, oh God, it's beautiful. It's amazing. And then we think about how the body was designed. The female clitoris has over 8,000 nerve endings. Over 8,000. Like, think about that. The clit has over 8,000 nerve endings. The primary function of the clitoris it's pleasure. pleasure. Like what, what else is it there for? <laughs> it's, it's, it is a pleasure maker. And also here's something really interesting to think about. And this is another reason why I think God is really for our pleasure. Now we think about childbirth, childbirth for centuries and thousands and thousands of millennia has been one of the number one causes of death for women because of the pain, right? And the trauma your body goes through. Now imagine 
if those 8,000 nerve endings were inside you and inside the birth canal, how much more infinitely painful childbirth would be, how much infinitely more of a fatality risk it would be if all of those pain, all those nerve endings were activated inside you during childbirth. Like, wow, God is so cool to have designed our bodies in such a way where he's like, I want women to experience pleasure and I want to protect them from even more pain and childbirth. So we're going to put the main pleasure center for women externally. Wow, that is profound to me. Yeah. Like if anyone ever wondered if God is for pleasure, do let's do a little research on the female anatomy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is insane. I've never thought about it that way. I mean, I have heard doctors using the clitoris as a way to make childbirth less painful. Like you basically masturbate when you're giving birth. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that? I've never heard of that. That's so fascinating. Yep. Super, Makes super sense, interesting. Though. Yeah, it does. And it would, that. Mm-hmm. I feel like it would definitely make it less painful. <laughs> yeah. You're like, ow. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So what did that mean for you, especially in your 20s? This is when you're kind of figuring all that out. When did you really define like what pleasure and sex and desire meant for you? When did that change? Oh my gosh. So I was in my late 20s when I went through that breakup. So I'm 35 now. So it's really been the last eight years of my life. And so with you being a virgin, what has that meant for you in society? Like how has that made you feel And how have you been able to really step into that and own it, which I love that you do, like your whole platform you used to to say that and say it's okay. But then you also have this, you know, beautiful perspective of desire and pleasure. Yeah. So I think first I had to stop worshiping virginity. I am choosing to wait until marriage to have sex. And that's what I'm committed to. However, it's not the most important thing about me. And if I end up having sex outside of marriage, guess what? It's not the end of the world. Well, and that kind of too, with that perspective, like it makes losing your virginity less of an extreme. Like, yes, yeah. to do it, to have that deeper spiritual connection, but it's not about you. It's about that experience. Rather. Yeah. And I love one of the way my friend Brenda from God is Gray, she says, we don't lose anything. Yeah. It's not about losing your virginity. It's about your sexual debut. Mm. She even has a cert, uh, a shirt that says that like sexual debut on it. I and it. I think, you know, navigating that in my twenties was confusing because I was really shut down to my desire because I was so ashamed of my desire because growing up in faith circles, I wanted to be good. I wanted to be a good Christian. And I thought to be a good Christian means I need to shut down my desire. I need to not ever touch myself because that's sinful. Pleasure is bad. Sex is for procreation only. I want to do it God's way. And I also believed that my body was bad because I had been taught that men are more sexual than women and men are more physical than women. And my body was hypersexualized by both culture and the church. So I was told to hide my body. I was already so insecure about my body. I had an eating disorder in college. 
So already was riddled with self-hatred towards my body and then told by the church that it's my job to protect the male gaze. Mm. And so messages I internalized there was, oh my gosh, boys will be boys. And it's my job to not only uphold my sexual quote unquote purity, I am supposed to uphold the entire male population because what are we saying there? We're saying that men can only respond to their urges. Men are animals. Men can't help themselves. What a one dimensional low view of men. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. <And> also, also, <laughs> It, we only have a, a short little hop, step, and a jump from boys will be boys to she was asking for it. So yeah. I lived in that shame for so long. And now I think, no, I have a really high view of men, which means that men, your sexual integrity is up to you. Nothing I do or do not do ever invites unwelcomed advances. Nothing. Period. The end. Nothing. Men, you get to show up with integrity in your own life. You get to honor people. Just because you have an urge does not mean you have to act on said urge. And so in my 20s navigating this, I was a mess. Because I was shut down to my desire. I thought it was bad. I thought it was gross. I thought that if I was turned on, it was a sin. I thought, oh my gosh, I felt terrified and on edge constantly because I didn't want to make a guy quote unquote sin because of me. And that all changed when I finally gave myself the permission to ask questions and look at the beliefs underneath the beliefs I had been given. And so it wasn't an overnight process for Obviously. me. It wasn't, it clearly, it took asking a lot of questions and going to a lot of therapy. And another huge thing that burst forth in my life was when I started practicing a lot of yoga. And once I started doing yoga, I realized, oh my gosh, life isn't really compartmentalized. How I show up on my yoga mat is how I show up in every other area of my life. So how you show up for one thing is how you show up for everything. And Part of the yoga practice that's been so healing for me is getting out of my head mm. and becoming embodied. Because yeah. again, what did I learn from those narratives? I learned to disassociate from my body and my experience. And part of the healing process of reconnecting with my desire and my body and my sexuality in a holistic way has been to reassociate with my body. So doing breath work, doing body work, doing yoga for an hour a day connecting my body and breath and movement together has been so healing. So those are a few of the ways that's how it's looked for me. So not really linear, but lots of questions, lots of digging in, lots of being curious and unpacking the root beliefs underneath the beliefs that I was adhering to. Yeah. Yeah. Yoga has been, I was injured in high school for doing cheerleading and it was my back. And so yoga has not only been like really transformative to me in a way that it's helped me heal, but also mm. it teaches you to treat your body as a temple. Like it is like your body is beautiful. It can do amazing things and things that you didn't even know you could do. Like all of these inversions and headstands, like it's a beautiful experience. Yeah. 
I love it. I agree 100%. It's been so healing. I really hurt my back in college when I was playing tennis and I left my tennis career and I could hardly walk. I was in such chronic, terrible pain. And I never thought I would ever be able to be a high performing athlete again. And it was devastating. I was devastated. And it wasn't uh, for about maybe five or six years then I, that I discovered yoga and it, it literally was healing to my body. It was so healing. Oh my gosh. In so many ways. I love it. So I don't know if this topic is off the table and if it is, then let me know. But I feel like we never have talked about it on the podcast and we don't really talk about it in general either, but the sense of like masturbation is so quieted. Mm -hmm. And what has that looked like for you exploring your own pleasure and like being able to empower yourself in that way, especially within relationships where you're not having, you know, actual sex, obviously you're probably still having sexual experiences in one way or another, but what does that look like for you in exploring all of this? Yeah. So growing up, if, if sexual desire was a sin, then definitely masturbation was a sin. And I masturbated a ton when I was a kid, not because I was watching porn or anything, just because I found, whoa, when I touch myself in between my legs at a certain pressure, it feels awesome. And then years later, I become a Christian and learn the words like purity and learned that guys watch things on the computer late at night and it's bad. And so I thought, oh my gosh, I better not do this. So I stopped masturbating for almost a decade. And in in the journey of me becoming more integrated with my body and asking a lot of these questions and trying to live in a more holistic space, my sexual desire woke up. And I was like, oh, hello, old friend. <laughs> and I, so I have a whole chapter in my book dedicated to masturbation. I figured you would because I feel like yeah. you talk openly about it. But, yeah. you know, it is a personal experience. Like it, it is very one-on-one with yourself. And it's something I didn't even discover until late college. Like it, mm. I feel like if we were taught to pleasure ourselves in a safe way, then our desires for sex would be a lot more controlled Hmm, and not controlled in a way, but like there would be less pressure around losing your virginity and like Mm. having those sexual experiences. Yeah. That's such a good point. I haven't thought about it that way. Kind of how I approach the conversation around masturbation is let's look at it holistically. Are there really damaging outcomes from masturbation? 100%. Mm -hmm. Porn addiction, is direct, can be directly correlated with masturbation, but porn and masturbation are not mutually exclusive. I think masturbation can become really problematic when it begins to keep us from our real life relationships. Sure. So an example of that, there's a sex in the city episode where Miranda is talking about her latest love affair and it's with the rabbit vibrator and they're all at brunch and Charlotte is appalled. She's like, a vibrator won't give you flowers. You can't take your vibrator home to meet your mother. I'm saving love for a real man. And then a few scenes later, they're oh, all I've seen the every episode store. about 10 times. Every episode. <laughs> okay. So if you're listening and you haven't, here's, here's the rest of it. Charlotte ends up getting a vibrator and 
she becomes so taken with her vibrator that she starts canceling plans. She cancels plans to go to the ballet. She's lying to her friends. She doesn't want to leave her home. And so finally, Miranda and Carrie burst through her apartment and are like, give us the vibrator. Like, no, no, Charlotte. And Charlotte says something along the lines. It's just that I would much rather hang out with my rabbit than a real man. And they basically don't leave Charlotte's house until she hands over the rabbit. And the scene ends with Carrie saying, with a little help from her friends, Charlotte decided she would not settle on herself. And first of all, I think that's so profound that that so was profound. in a Sex in the City episode. Especially a show not- all about sex. <laughs> right. They're not saying masturbation is bad, but when it gets to the point that it's causing isolation, causing addiction, causing a lack of desire to be in a real relationship with a real person, then that's problematic. I think we can all agree there. Mm-hmm. But let's look at the other side. Are there positive benefits to masturbation? Yes. What are those? Well, I think a few of them are me knowing my body and knowing what does and doesn't feel good allows me to give informed and enthusiastic consent and my sexual experiences. When I judge and think my body and genitals are disgusting and gross, then I can only give what I have. So if I don't accept my own body, then how could I ever accept and honor and be excited about my partners? Mm -hmm. So what if part of being able to be a good lover and be able to love my partner well and give him pleasure is part of that is me knowing my own body and accepting my own body as beautiful, as good, as pleasurable. And I also think that if as children, children touch themselves all the time. And it's, yeah, there are a lot of cases where kids are exposed to porn and there's sexual abuse where sexuality is activated prematurely. And that can make this conversation difficult. However, there are like me as a kid, I just found that the water jets in the bathtub felt awesome. (laughs) And there was real innocence there. Mm -hmm. So if it's possible to explore our bodies and innocence as children, is it possible that in innocence as adults, we could do the same? I think so. So I think it's, it's about being curious about whatever the topic is and looking at it from every aspect. What is this pushing me towards? Who is this helping me become? Are there things that are unhealthy about this? Let's look at that. Are there possibilities that it could be healthy as well? Let's look at that. So I think in that, it means that every person might come up with a different answer for that. Just like a person might be predisposed to alcoholism and choose to never drink. That's not a wrong decision. Also, another person might decide, I really like drinking and I'm going to drink. Another person might decide to drink and they become an alcoholic and then they get sober and decide they don't want to drink anymore. So who's right and who's wrong? No one. Well, it all is just the path. It's just the journey. It's figuring out who you are and what's important to you. Right. Right. Yeah. And what works and what feels in alignment with what you feel God is speaking to you, what you feel is going to be a win for you, all of that. So giving yourself that space to ask the hard questions and and dig in. 
I love it. So let's talk about your book, Sexless in the City, to kind of close things out. Yeah, yeah. So gosh, my my book, Sexless in the City, is about a lot of what you and I are talking about right now. It's about me growing up in Southern Christian culture, learning a set of rules that really produced a lot of shame around sex and my body and dating and getting to a breaking point in my late 20s in New York where I realized I need to figure out what I believe and why. I need to deconstruct in order so that I can rebuild and then practically walk out my life. Mm -hmm. So how do I develop a healthy sexual ethic? I deconstruct. How did I get here? What do I believe and why? Where did those beliefs come from? Are they rooted in fear of freedom? And then what's actually true? Are those things serving me? They're rooted in fear and shame. They're probably not. So how can I develop something that is rooted in freedom and wholeness? And so then from there, where do I find truth? Well, for me as a woman of faith, I discover that in the Bible. I discover that through my own experience. I look at science, I research. And and then from there, then I get to figure out how I want to walk out in a way that feels in alignment with who I am, what it is what it is that I want in a way that feels connected to my values, to my faith. And that's how I get to walk out holistically the healthy sexual ethic. And so that's what the book is about. I ask questions like, is my body bad? Is pleasure sinful? Is masturbation a sin? Is Jesus a feminist? Is it the woman's duty to uphold male sexual purity? Am I supposed to quote unquote submit to my husband as it says in the Bible? What does that even mean? What does the Bible really say about sex? So I sort of just go, I go towards the jugular of my biggest questions about God and sex and I unpack them and hopefully in that process give you, the reader, the permission to go on your own journey and have the tools to ask hard questions about what you believe and why. I love it. We have to ask ourselves those questions in order to really, like you said, unpack what is our time here on earth for? Like, who are we? What are we meant to do? You know, so much of what we talk about at She Factor is creating life you love. And so much of creating life you love is asking yourself those questions and unpacking what they mean to you. So Mm -hmm. I'm so excited for your book and to unpack this myself and to ask myself those hard questions. I think mm-hmm. so often we also don't give ourselves the time and the space to do that. We just go and live and see what happens. So I love the intentionality yeah. behind it. It's really great. Thanks, Thanks so much. Um, I'm excited for it to be out there in the world. And just I, my vision is to see a generation set free from shame. That's mm-hmm. what I want to be set free from shame. I want us to walk out holistically in our lives with vision and clarity and integrity and freedom and honesty. How do we release the shame from this topic, especially as women working through our relationships, through our sexuality, through our faith? How do we make this conversation more open and accessible and freeing throughout, especially our 20s, like as we explore and unpack this for ourselves? I think we do what you and I are doing right now. We normalize it. We normalize desire. We normalize talking about sex. We normalize talking about our periods. We normalize talking about masturbation. We normalize talking about this stuff because it's such a human experience. Desire for sex and and sexual desire is one of the most normal parts of being human. 
gotta get we gotta get comfortable talking about it. Shame loses its power when we bring it to the light. So how do we release shame from this conversation? We bring these conversations into light, into yeah. community. I love it. I love it. What advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Oh goodness, what advice would I give her? I would just say, girl, you are allowed to be you. I think for so much of my life, I felt like I wasn't Christian enough or I was too Christian or I was just constantly ruffling feathers and pissing people off on both sides of any sort of conversation. And so I allowed myself to be and play small in my life to try to conform to what I thought other people expected me to be. And only in the last few years have I really started walking forward, not in someone else's lane, but in my own lane. And I think if I could have understood that earlier, that I am loud. I have a lot of opinions. I ask why. If there's an elephant in the room, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to address it. That's not a weakness. That's actually a, a huge part of who God created me to be. And it doesn't serve me or anyone else if I hide that. So powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And thank yeah. you for just sharing in general so openly and vulnerably on your platform and here in this space. I appreciate it. I know our listeners will. I know your followers do. Yeah. Anything else you want to end with and where can people find you and engage with you? Yeah. So, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me and yes. holding space. For this thank you. And you can learn more about my book. You can see my book trailer. You can pre-order my book and get some free goodies that I created for you at sexlessinthecitybook.com. My book is on Kindle, Audible, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, anywhere you can get books. And you can slide into my DMs. I love a good DM slide, The Refined Woman. And that's also my website and my weekly podcast is The Refined Collective. I talk about a lot of this stuff over there as well. Amazing. So come hang. I love it. Thank you so much, Kat, for everything. I so appreciate you and love this conversation. I just, I, I think it's so important that we, we start talking about this more and let's freaking make it, make it normal. Let's talk about yeah. it all the time. Come on, let's do it. Hey girl, thank you so much for listening to the She Factor podcast. Everything we do here at She Factor is for you to unite, excite, and cheer each other on as we create a life we love together. We'd love for you to rate, review, and share the podcast if this helped you in any way on your journey to sheep. And you can DM or email us a screenshot of your review for a special treat from Team Sheep. Looking for more than your weekly dose of Sheep Factor? Find us on social media at The Sheep Factor or head to our website, thesheepfactor.com to keep up with all the latest trends on our blog, subscribe to our daily She newsletter, RSVP to our next virtual event, and join our She membership for an all-access past year virtual girl gang. Follow me at Tori Ganahl for a behind-the-scenes look at all things She and slide into my DMs to share how I can support you on your journey. See you next week.